Easter and Christmas provide wonderful yet challenging opportunities for pastors. Pastor Ken and I, Ken Witten from Main Campus, was talking last night, and there can be a lot of pressure on Easter, a lot of visitors, and you feel like you got to preach the best sermon that you've ever preached in your entire life. And Ken was reminding me that Adrian Rogers said one time, and I don't I hope this doesn't, I was thinking about it, this is where I'm getting off notes, I don't want to offend anybody, but Adrian Rogers said, Ken, the good news is if you preach the best sermon you've ever preached on Easter, you might see most of them again on Christmas. So there you have it, there you have it, there's the good news. So, uh, but the wonderful opportunity that we have before us is to declare the greatness of what our Lord and our Savior, the one true God, has done for us. And yet the challenge is, it is to preach a familiar story. A story that many of us probably feel that we know, maybe, more, maybe we know it better than we really know it. That maybe we haven't plumbed the depths of, the, of Jesus Christ taking on flesh at Bethlehem, fulfilling hundreds of prophecies, of growing up and being sinless, of teaching, of doing the Father's will, of ultimately taking the sins of the entire world upon Him and being crucified and spat upon and beaten, a crown of thorns thrust upon His head, ultimately to die to pay the penalty of my sins and your sins and the sins of those of the whole world. To be buried in a borrowed tomb and three days later to be resurrected. I think in the culture we live in, we just kind of hear that story and we just kind of yawn at it. No, our God, the one true God, was resurrected. There, there's no other religion in the world that makes the claim. Muhammad, Allah, Buddha, none of them. There's no other resurrected kings. And, and the challenge for many of us, the challenge just for, for pastors is to awaken the awe, to restore the awe of the fact that we serve a resurrected king. He says, I go to prepare a place for you in John 14, and if it weren't, and, and, and if it weren't I'll come again, and if it were not true, I would have told you. That later on in John 14, he says, Peace I live with you, I, I leave with you, I will not leave you as orphans. My peace I give to you. I will send a helper, the Holy Spirit, to, to live in you. He will teach you all things. He will remind you all things. This morning, as I, as I, as I prayed, and, 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 and you know for a long time as a pastor, Easter's coming. And God, what do you want me to say? Not, not what I want to say. God, what do you want me to say? There was one passage, and it was Romans 4, verse 25. And this morning, I simply want to help us remember and renew in awe of Easter. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Paul, I'm reminded of what Paul said time and time again. He said, it is no trouble to remind you of these things. Paul declares the same truths over and over and over. Why? Because the tendency of our fire is to go out. The tendency of amazement is to go out. The tendency of wonder is to, is to die out. And my prayer this morning is that we can renew the awe of Easter. And this awe will permeate every single area of our lives, if it doesn't already. Easter changes everything. 
Because he lives, as the story goes, it changes everything. That's a game changer. And listen, this message applies to every single person within the sound of my voice, whether you're a believer or whether you're not a believer today in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death, his burial, and resurrection. This message applies to you. Please, please hear me out. There is great news in the resurrection here for all of us today. So as you're in Romans 4, verse 25, again, I think it's page 121 in the, in the Pew Bible in front of you. I looked it up. I think it was 121. I want to be very succinct today, and I know those who have been worshiping with us for a long time don't believe me when I say that, but I do want to be very succinct. I think the profoundness of Easter is in the simplicity of its message, and I want to keep it simple. And I want to really sum it up to one illustration. But I want to answer today three of the most important questions that any of us will ever... It is the three most important questions that any of us will ever have to answer in all, in all of our lives. And there are this. The first question is this. Why did Jesus come and die? Look with me at Romans 4, verse 25. The Easter message. Jesus' entire life, if you will is summed up in this one verse. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Why did Jesus come? Why, why did Jesus die? It was because of my sin and your sin. That's what transgressions means. Transgression means to go beyond, to, to get outside the boundaries. Sin means to miss the mark. It means to, to go too far. That our sin, my sin, your sin has separated us from a holy God, the Creator. You go all the way back to, to Genesis 1. Adam and Eve sinned, and what did God do? He, he dismissed them from the garden. He had to be separated from them. That's the effects of sin. It has separated us from our King. It has separated us from our Maker. It has separated us from our God. Listen to what 1 Peter 3, 18 says about Jesus' coming. God, throughout, throughout the whole Bible, from Genesis on, is a story of God and a plan to reconcile lost humanity for Himself, to make a way for sinful humanity to be reconciled to a holy God. And in 1 Peter 3, 18, listen to what it says about why Jesus came. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. What did Jesus do? He came to die to pay the penalty of our sins that we could be forgiven and ushered back into the presence of a holy God. Habakkuk said that God is holy. He's too holy to look upon evil, to be in the presence of evil as sinners. We could not be in His presence. God was making a way throughout the entire Bible to reconcile, to restore, to bring lost sinners back into His presence, into His fellowship. You say, why did Jesus come? He came for one reason, to die for the sins of the whole world, to pay the penalty that our sin demanded be paid, and it's death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. From beginning of time, God said, if you sin, you will die. 
We've seen that throughout history. I, I could give you a hundred verses and take a whole lot longer in this sermon than we need to to say the same thing. Jesus came to die for sins. He was delivered over, this passage says. He was delivered over. You say, by, by whom? By the soldiers? By Herod? By, by the Romans? By the Jewish mob? Who delivered him over? It was none of those. Acts 2.23 gives us the answer of who delivered Jesus over. It says, this man was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Listen to me. Nobody crucified Jesus. God, his father, crucified Jesus. No mere man crucified him. Did, did man play a part in it? Absolutely. But they were, just, uh, they were just fulfilling the plan of God. Jesus came into this world to die for sins. God delivered him over death in love and mercy so that you and I would have a way to not have to pay the penalty of our own sins. It was for our transgressions. Romans 8.3 says that God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to die for sin. Romans 8.32 says he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up freely for us all. The death of Jesus was by design. It was by the design of a God who desired to make a way for sinful man to be restored into fellowship with their creator. God planned the death. It was not an accident. Jesus did not get trapped. It wasn't that, well, I've exhausted all other means. I guess I've got... No, no. He came for the sole purpose of dying. And the reason was because of mine and yours transgressions. That's sin. God's design was to deal with our sin. And it had to be a perfect, spotless, sinless lamb. And Jesus Christ was that lamb. That's why John the Baptist said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the what? Sins of the world. He wanted to do something about our transgressions. God had to be very careful how he did that. If you look at Proverbs 17, it says that God abhors the, those who condemn the righteous and who forgive the wicked. Well, we weren't righteous. How could we be made righteous and we're wicked? How could we be treated as we're not? By God providing a substitute, a perfect substitute. Jesus died the death that you and I deserve to die. He died it in our place to pay the penalty for our sins so that God could justly and rightly and whole, in a holy manner forgive you and I for our sins. They had to be punished, so He cast them all upon His Son. All of God's wrath towards sin fell upon His Son. Therefore, God could be a just God. He could forgive us of our sins without just sweeping it under the rug, without just pretending like it didn't happen. No, He dealt with it. The main thing to see here is that Jesus' death was a death by design. God, in His great love and in His great mercy, offered up His Son, perfect, spotless, sinless Jesus Christ, His Son, to be sacrificed for your sins and for my sins and the sins of the whole world. Again, God did not just sweep our sins under the rug as you and I might do. He didn't just overlook them. He condemned them. He executed them. How? On the shoulders of His Son. He dealt with every single one of them rightly on His Son. And in this way, our sins have been dealt with. We could be purchased. We could be redeemed by the death of Christ. Saved 
from our sins. We can be rescued. Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Sin had a debt that had to be paid. Listen, Jesus did not pay that ransom to Satan. He paid that ransom to His Father. The debt was due His Father. And thus, through the blood of Jesus, we can be saved of our sins. We can be rescued from the penalty of hell. We are ransomed from the judgment of God. Through a merciful redemption. We can be justified as we saw last week. We can be declared righteous. Only perfect, only righteous people get into heaven. As sinners, we're not perfect or righteous. We have a problem. God, through our belief in Jesus Christ, gives G- He takes our sin. God gives us Jesus' righteousness. Merciful redemption. Jesus came for one reason... To pay the penalty of sin through death. But, but that's not it. That's not all. We can't stop there. He wasn't just to die. Our verse tells us he was delivered over because of our transgressions. He was raised because of our justification. The second question I want to answer is this. Is why is the resurrection absolutely necessary and a non-negotiable? Why is it not okay simply to believe that Jesus came? That he died. It is absolutely imperative that we believe the resurrection. And that is the singular differentiating fact between Christianity and other religions. We have a God who died and three days later was resurrected. And when you think about the word resurrected, to keep it simple, I want you to think about the word approved. Approved. And when you, I want to illustrate it this way. I thought about this as I was at the grocery store when... And again, all illustrations, I'm going to give a simple illustration. I don't mean to belittle the cross in any way. You know my heart. When you go to the grocery store, you walk up and down the aisles and you put groceries in your cart. And every single one of those items that you put in the cart, you know what? It comes with a price. Imagine that is your sin. Every single sin we've ever committed, it comes with a price, and that price is death. You take all your groceries and you head to the checkout line. The Bible says every single one of us one day, it is, desti- it is appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. One day we're going to proceed to the checkout line with all of our sins, with all, with all of our groceries. You go up to that checkout line at the grocery store and you, they scan every single one of those items and you expect... To pay, And when you're done, those groceries are scanned and the person tells you what you owe. That's your debt. You have a debt to that grocery store. And if you're like most of us, you're going to open up your wallet, you're going to pull out a little plastic square, and you're going to swipe that card as your form of payment for your groceries. And you're going to wait. See, here's the deal. Simply swiping the card, does that get you out of the grocery store? It doesn't. I got a lot of cards in my wallet I can swipe through that machine. You know, if all you need is someone to swipe a card, I got a card you can swipe. Listen to me. You don't leave the grocery store until this eight-letter word pops up on the credit card machine. You know what it says? Approved. Approved. 
You ever been in a grocery store where you swipe your card and it takes longer than it should? You ever been there and you start, you, you, it's taking, I mean, literally, if it takes two or three seconds, it feels like an eternity. You've been the person behind that person, you're thinking, that joker's trying to steal these groceries. They ain't got no money. They don't have no money in that car. That thing's taking longer. Imagine with me for a moment, it's silly, but imagine with me for a moment how you think those disciples felt for three days. We we followed you, Jesus, and now you're dead. What are we going to do? We've got all this debt. Listen to me. Three days later, you know what flashed up on the credit card scene? Approved. When Jesus Christ came out of that tomb, that was God's way of saying, I approve of your payment, Jesus. Sin has been paid for. Everything changes when that word pops up on that screen, approved. You know what that tells the clerk? The transaction is finished. It's complete. You know what she does? She gives you a receipt. You put your groceries in a bag and you walk out free. There's no more debt. There's no more payment needed. Nothing. You go away and you live. You, you take the groceries. That's the resurrection. There, there's no payment for sin without the resurrection. That was God's way of saying, I completely receive your payment for sin, Jesus. The resurrection was God's way of saying, approved, regarding the death of Jesus. And Jesus did what? He walked out of the tomb. Why? Because his work was finished. It was complete. The debt has been paid. Listen to me. Sin has no debt that Jesus did not pay. No matter how you came into here, no matter what you've done. Romans 5 says this at 520, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. There is absolutely zero items of sin in your grocery cart that Jesus' death does not fully pay. Approved. Approved. The resurrection was proof that Jesus had conquered death, that he had overcome death, that sin's debt had been paid, that God had accepted the payment for sin, that God was satisfied. When you swipe that card and that word approved pops up, that, that grocery store is saying, hey, I'm satisfied. No more debt. And what the resurrection teaches us is that salvation's work, the payment for sin's death is finished. The transaction is literally complete. We do not have to pay the penalty of our sin any longer because Jesus paid it in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that is exactly what we saw last week. That is what the word justified means. It means to be forgiven rightly. You can walk out of here today. The good news of Easter is you can walk out of here today and know that your sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. That there is no more debt. That, that Jesus' sacrifice was approved by God on your behalf as your substitute. It, was, it would be almost like if you walked up to the grocery store and there was a person standing, they scan all your groceries, and that person swipes his card and you go on. Next person comes up, he swipes his card and you go on. Jesus literally is paying every single one of our sin debt. Every single one of them. That, that is why, again, it is absolutely necessary. That is why you see in Romans, I mean, in 1 Corinthians 15, what Paul says, he says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand. And here it is, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you as first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The, the resurrection is an absolutely essential component. You do, not, you do not get saved. You do not go to heaven. You are not forgiven by simply believing that Jesus came. It is His death, His burial, and resurrection. All three are absolutely necessary components in order for this transaction to be complete. You don't get to leave the store. You don't get forgiven of your sin until the word approved shows up on the screen. And the resurrection was just that. That is why it is absolutely necessary. It was God's way of saying, I approve of your sacrifice. But not only why did Jesus die and why is the resurrection absolutely important, third and most important question now is this, how does this apply to me? You say, how can I, how can I lock into that? How, how, can I, how can I be the beneficiary? How, how can I place Jesus' death as a substitute for my death. The reality is the payment's not automatic. It's given, it, it, it's, it's for everyone, but you've got to apply it to your life. We're not forgiven automatically because of Jesus' work. If you look at Romans 4, 24, the verse right before 25, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who what? Believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Believe. When you think about the word believe, I want you to think of one word, and it's this word, apply. To believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is to apply His act, to apply His death, burial, and resurrection to your life. It's admitting, I deserve to die. I had the sin. I had the debt. I owed. I deserve death. I apply Jesus' death in my place. I, I apply, if you will, I apply Him sw swiping His card and I apply His approval to my life, to my debt. Simple. To believe in Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection is to apply it. It's in faith we look to it. We don't look to anything that we do on our own. It's not Jesus plus. It's not, hey, swipe your card and then leave me a little balance and then I'll swipe my card. No, no. It's, it's, it's Jesus's or nothing. And by faith, we look to that. We constantly look to that. We make it, we make it personal. Listen, it's not believing in an historical thing of saying, well, I believe that Jesus Christ came and died. I believe. No, it's I believe he did that for me. It's not just simply espousing to a, to a historical fact. It's applying it directly to your life. It's saying, it was my judgment that put him on that cross. It was my sin that put him on that cross. It was my death that deserved to be paid. He was my substitute. And just like in the Old Testament, in, in the exit from Egypt, when they, when they slaughtered the lamb and they spread the blood over the doorframe of their life, and when that angel of judgment came, guess what he did? He passed over every home that had applied, by faith, had applied that lamb's blood to their door. That's a picture of what I'm offering you today, to take Jesus' blood by faith and apply it to the doorframe of your life. And when judgment comes at the end of this day, when you die and your appointment comes to face judgment, the, angel, the judgment is going to pass over you. Why? Because Jesus has already been judged for you. 
Christ's death counts as your death. Jesus was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. We deserved God to forsake us because of our sin, and instead He forsook His Son. And if we will believe on that, if we will look to that, if we will cast our faith on that death, it says we can be forgiven. Redemption accomplished on the basis of what Jesus Christ did. It is accomplished apart from us, outside of us. We have nothing to offer. Redemption, that's redemption accomplished. But redemption applied is by faith, seeing your own sins is what put him on that cross. It's personal. It's personal. It's applying it by faith. And what do we get out of that? What do we get out of that? Matthew eleven eight, a profound statement Jesus makes. Listen to me. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what Jesus has come to offer, rest. Salvation is rest. Who, who in here wouldn't raise their hand that they could use a little Rest. But this isn't just any rest. This isn't mean rest from labor or work. We absolutely as Christians don't do that. The rest Jesus offers is rest in a new relationship. It's a secure relationship with God by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a rest that says, I'm not depending on my own works or my own effort to be good enough to get to heaven. It's a rest that says, I'm resting in what Jesus Christ did, and I'm resting that it was sufficient for me. That's the rest. It's a right relationship with God. It's a rest that says, because of Jesus Christ, because of the relationship that I have with God by faith through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that I can depend on God for every single one of my needs. I can impose on God for whatever I need. I can barge right into His presence with full confidence. It's a blessing. It's sweet. It's that He's my advocate, that He's my intercessor, that He's my hope, that He's my sacrifice, that He's my Savior, that He's my adopted Father, that He's my brother. None of that was accomplished by Chris Basham. That's the rest. It's not a rest from work, except that it's a rest from working for my salvation, but it's a rest to now work because I know that everything is accomplished. I just go out and live for Him. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why? Because you, we did nothing to accomplish our salvation. He says, now just go give yourself. Just go serve. But listen, the rest, the rest is only available by faith. It's not automatic. We must, in faith, come to Christ. No, notice what Jesus says in Matthew 11. We don't come to a denomination for salvation. We don't come to church for salvation. We don't come to an Easter service for salvation. We don't trust our parents who love the Lord and raised us in church for our salvation. We don't come to anything that we've done. We come empty-handed to a person, Jesus Christ, and He says, I will give you rest. It's about making it personal. It's by believing in faith that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was for you. That He didn't just die, He died for me. And He died for you. Just like I quoted in the baptistry, Paul says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Listen, 
What is, you say, what does faith look like? I'm not trying to be funny here, but belief is this. Faith is this. It's putting all your eggs in Jesus' basket and guarding that basket. It's not diversification. It's not a little to Jesus, a little works. It's not a little Jesus, a little being good. It's not a little him, a little me. No, it's all Jesus, all day, all the time. He was crucified for our sins and he was raised for our justification. Approved, applied, and the result is rest. A secured salvation, a completed transaction, a forgiven debt. Say, how does this apply to me? Romans 10 9 says this. If we believe, if we believe that God raised him from the dead, if you if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10 9, and I'm drawing a blank for some reason. I know that verse. It says. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's rest. I beg you, take Jesus' death as your own and find rest. Maybe today is the day that you are resurrected from the grave, unbeliever. Maybe you walked in here today not, a, not in a right relationship with God by faith through Jesus Christ, still standing on your sin. That's the beauty of Easter. You can be resurrected today. Ephesians 2.1, you're dead in your trespasses. You don't have to die. Through believing in Jesus Christ, He will give you new life. That's a resurrection. No matter what you've done, there is enough grace to forgive you. That's Easter. You do not have to die for your sin. Where death was deserved, eternal life can be given. Believer, if you walked in here and you said, I've already done that, then live. Then offer your bodies as one. Live your life as one who has been resurrected from the dead, who has been given new life, and live your life for the one who died for you. Live your life for the one who gave his for you. That's Easter. And even in that, as Daniel said, he is giving us resurrection life. We are now living life as it was meant to be living. Or lived, rather, living. That's a good word. Either way, there's resurrection available. Either from dead, from your sins, or Christian, from the, from the dullness of living life as it was not meant to be lived for yourself, but for others. Whatever it is today, I, I beg you to believe upon Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, and His resurrection for your resurrection. His appointed man to, to die, and after that to face judgment. Believe upon Jesus Christ and have Him deal with that judgment. And then live for Him. Amen?